Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode and doing something a little different here because most uh, shows I do when I do movie reviews or talk about movies, it's usually when movies have come out and have had their run and they've had their legacy. And I don't, it's not often that I get to talk with the filmmakers uh, behind it but that's a little different because for this October I'm going to be talking to filmmakers about movies that they love or movies that they have made now as you tell from the title we're talking about They Live Inside Us by Wishing Season Films now if you are a listener of this show and you've been listening since at least last year you know who the guest is because he was on last year to talk about both of our list of our required Halloween viewings and since it's that time of year and his movie is all about Halloween and he's going to talk about his movie and how it all got made and so let's everybody say hello to Mr. Michael Balif. How are you doing Michael? Hey I'm doing well thanks for having me back I am excited to be here. Well, good. I'm glad that it's like being able to be stand at least one show is one thing. Willing to come back for another show, that's another thing entirely. So do I think that I think I'm going to put that in the win column. <laughs> Let's do it every year. I think every October or every you know, what is it? October? It's close enough. It's close enough. Uh, like we are recording from a secret time that nobody knows about. And it will yes. be as and if you look at if you listen to this on the day's release, this will be coming out on October sixth, and that's gonna be a very specific reason. But we'll get into that. So, like I said, we're gonna be talking about "They Live Inside Us," the feature film from Wishing Season Films. So let's jump into our conversation about that right now. Okay, now I know you kind of got into this a little bit earlier on in the first episode we did, but what was the genesis you wanted to make movies in the first place? Um, it's funny. So I I grew up with uh, my parents' video camera, and I started kind of tinkering with that, and it really started with me uh, filming my friends and I, you know, skateboarding around the neighborhood and just kind of like learning the tech, like the technology of cameras and like being able to like plug it into the TV and, you know, watch yourself and watch what, you know, watch us try to do tricks and, uh, typically failing at doing those tricks, but, (laughs) (laughs) but kind of just like playing with that. And then like, you know, I started, I don't know, I don't know why, but I started filming little stop animation, like pre, you know, stop go animation stuff with Legos. I do like little. One of the first ones I remember. It's funny. I actually found it recently because I, I went through and I was digitizing my parents' uh, uh, their videotapes from our childhood, and I found like this Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I mean, I, I called it that, but it was really like a ten second long video. But it was like Ichabod Crane. You have this Lego character running, and it, it stop and go every frame or whatever, and then this guy on a horse comes up behind him and chops his head off. And then the, his head is like falling to the ground. And I, and I use like a fishing line to hold the, the head and slowly drop it to the ground. <laughs> and I had like a title card 
that I held up that I printed out on, on paper that said like the legend of sleepy hollow. And, um, so I, I got into, you know, doing weird stuff like that. I don't really know why, but then really what happened next is I, uh, I found this website called fxhome.com and it was like, uh, an effects website where they, they had their own software and I think they're still around. Um, but you could upload, this was before YouTube. So they had like a cinema, section of their site where you could upload your movie and then users of the site would go in and rate it and they could leave comments and like there was like a section where you put in your poster and your trailer and I started like just having like I I found the site and I was watching other people's movies and I must have been like 13 14 years old or something when I found this and uh it was just like a way to to make something and share it and like get a response so I started making little videos there like putting up little action short films and a couple horror things and sort of kind of unraveled from there and um got a little bit more serious as things went on but that was kind of the the start it was in my my teenage years awesome now imagine if you end up like having your own like broadcast or something like that your own tv station you have to use that sleepy hollow video as a bumper in between programs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah now that i have it digitized i uh i should i, I thought about I, I need to just go through and like upload some of those to youtube just for fun because they're they're great i they're it's fun to watch that nice nice now obviously witching season films is the youtube channel that you're a part of and you're a co-owner of that and everything how did that specifically come about like how did you making movies as kids as a kid end up in forming that company yeah good question um well after after high school i continued my passion of filmmaking and i i made a few films and i I made one called two hours it was a zombie short film and i it was like the first real serious production that i did like i really invested a lot of time like the team behind it we we really committed to making like the biggest, best thing we could. And we ended up spending like a year and a half making this film and released it on YouTube. And it surprisingly did really well. Like it, it was right around the time walking dead was really getting popular. So it, uh, it was perfect timing for releasing a zombie movie. And, um, after that was made and it was out there, I kind of, so I, I, I was, you know, feeling really inspired because this film that we spent all this time on ended up paying off. People were watching it and the response was really good overall. And I started thinking about like what, what would the next step would be and what I wanted to do. And, um, I kind of realized that I, I needed, so like the, one of the things we, we didn't do right with that zombie film is we, we didn't have like a production company, uh, like a YouTube channel or a place to, to further continue with new productions and stuff that people could like subscribe and then follow what we're going to do next. It was, it was pretty much a YouTube channel that was made just for that film. So like pairing that with like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I spent like maybe a couple years after making two hours thinking about that. And, and I started to realize that I really wanted to do horror and I wanted to do, because two hours is, is a zombie movie, but it's, it's, borderline like an action film there's like horror elements but it's it's pretty action-packed and uh 
and yeah, I started like going back and watching a lot of the stuff I grew up with. Like I watched, uh, I revisited, are you afraid of the dark? And, um, the goosebumps TV show, which were like staples for me growing up. Like those were majorly influential in, in uh, the stuff I ended up doing later on. But, um, yeah, I just kind of started to realize that like, I, I loved that type of content and I wanted to make my own anthology. So I, it, like the witching season anthology that I ended up creating was paired really closely with starting a brand and I needed a place to put everything on YouTube. So, I uh, I came up with, with the name Witching Season Films and started a company and uh, made that YouTube channel. And then I decided the first project out of it would be this horror anthology called The Witching Season. So they're both pretty close in title. We have Witching Season Films as the company name and then The Witching Season as the, the series. And that's really a, a horror anthology inspired by those shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps but made more for – like you know, I'd say more for like an adult audience, but still accessible, I think, to younger kids. But anyway, it's kind of how that all came about. And and I, you know, it's like my love for Halloween was was always there. I just, it's like it's this weird thing. I kind of, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, it it really like once I realized that like I wanted to make content that was connected to Halloween. I mean, not maybe not exclusively like for my entire career, but starting from that point, like something really clicked and it just started to feel very authentic. Cause I like that two year period after two hours, I was really kind of, uh, lost with like, what, what am I trying to say with, with my filmmaking and like my creativity? And like, once I kind of realized that I've always been obsessed with Halloween and like, it just makes sense. Like, it just feels like a pure representation of what I'm kind of about. And, uh, it's, it's been a very natural sort of progression from there. So yeah, there's a long winded answer for you, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. I imagine you sitting around contemplating what to do next that you're just sitting around wearing sunglasses indoors, smoking cigarettes. Like, what am I trying to say with my art? <laughs> it's, it's pretty much like that. And well, I, I don't know, man, it was like, it was really just like me banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out what, what the next thing was going to be. Cause you know, it's, you've probably experienced this Tim where you're trying to come up with a, an idea for something and it, it either just doesn't feel authentic to you or you're not in love with it. Making a project I think, away from two hours after something that was such a long-term commitment. Cause like I said, it was like a year and a half to get it from start to finish. It's like, I'm not just going to make any old thing and do that again. It's got to be something I'm completely in love with. So took some time to kind of figure that out but i uh i'm glad i took that uh that time to you know reflect and get to that point so no I, I totally understand where you're wondering like i want to make something you have the energy to do so and you have the will to do that but it's at that point where the muse is not speaking to you and you're like i don't know what to make and you sound you feel like Nicolas Cage and adaptation where you're sitting in front of your typewriter or your computer and just like something will come out of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's because it, it, you've got to love it. If you're going to invest that much time and like that much effort into it, especially once you like, it's just after doing that for a year and a half and making this zombie thing. And like, um, I was really happy with it, but, to do it again, it just felt so daunting. It's just like, 
it, it'll just kind of come out of you and the time spent won't really matter if, if you're just fully invested and you truly care and believe in what it is. So there were other projects coming up that my friends and I were kicking around, but like each one just kind of felt like, like that, like just kind of like, I don't know if I'm ready to commit this much time to this thing. And, um, just comes down to like finding that thing that you really love and, um, you know, want to, uh, dedicate that much time to. So, yeah. Yeah. And I believe the first movie that came out from watching season, uh, YouTube channel was killer on the loose. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. There, there's actually one other short that came out before, which was a, a 48 hour film. It's called uh lethal repair. And we, it's, it's like, that was like the kind of genesis of our team kind of coming together and starting to make stuff is we, uh, James Morris, who I've worked with many times, and he's an integral part of everything I do, pretty much. But um, he uh, he was the lead actor in it, and that was the first time we actually worked together on this little forty-eight hour film project, where you you know you make a movie in forty-eight hours, and um, they give you like a genre and a line of dialogue and a, a character name, and then you have to go out and make a film with that and return it, deliver it within forty-eight hours. So that was the very first thing. But then, yeah, soon after that came uh, Killer on the Loose. Now, how was the approach to, say, Killer on the Loose different than two hours? Like, how like was the production of it and the release of it different with uh, now Witching Season films kind of established? Yeah, it was much, it was much quicker turnaround. It still took a while. I, I think it actually ended up taking maybe eight months, I think, for that one. Um but the the shooting and and everything was a lot faster and um kind of the way it came about is we so i knew this was going to be the first episode of of the anthology and i i wanted to do with the witching season kind of the mandate has always been to do like familiar types of horror like you know your subgenres that people have grown to love like slasher films haunted house stories evil evil doll stories, um, horror, you know, horror comedy, all that different, uh, all those different subgenres that were, we've all grown to love. Um, and this one, I, I knew I wanted to do something pretty basic in terms of plot, but, um, so that's why kind of a, a slasher film came to be, but then, you know, things always, uh, end up becoming more complex as you go <laughs> and decided to give it a more of a twist ending. And, um, but yeah, we, we just kind of casted uh, the the lead, Haley Nebaker, who plays the uh, the victim in quotes. Uh, she was someone that I worked with once before on uh, this little short film that I was the DP on, maybe a year before that, and um, I was really impressed with with her in that. And uh, we kind of stayed in touch and ended up casting her. And then James was the uh, James Morris played the killer in the mask. And, um, yeah, we just kind of cast, I cast it kind of based on people that I knew and, um, we kind of, this was like the starting point of forming this team that we would end up working together on the rest of the series later on. But, um, yeah, it, it kind of formed in a very natural way. I would say like everyone that was involved was, was, uh, people that I'd either worked with or people that I was talking to about working with and. Yeah. And 
with the success of the first short, you you and your team would continue to make short films afterwards. And like you said before, you had taken, I don't want to say tropes, but like familiar ideas and then do your spin on them within the confines of the witching season, like modus operandi. Like, like you said, like you had princess, which is like a killer doll and not alone. And then you eventually get to the short film version of they live inside us. How did that idea come about? Well, it's funny. Cause right, right before, um, starting the witching season, um, I aspired to do either an anthology or just jump in and make a feature film. And that idea, uh, I was, I was looking through some of my old, I have the, I record these little brainstorm videos sometimes when I'm working on ideas and I found one from, from way back then where I was talking about how I wanted to do either an anthology or this feature film about a writer who goes to a haunted house and he's trying to come up with this, this great story. And I think, I think that probably comes from, I don't know exactly where that idea came, uh, but it's, it's definitely a reflection of the way I felt at that time, that period between maybe two hours getting into the witching season where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do and just kind of dealing with that blank page and staring at it and wondering what it is you're going to do, you know? So I, I had this idea about this guy trying to come up with this story and, I love the concept of him spending the night in a haunted house that may, that may go back to growing up with uh, the ghost of Mr. Chicken. <laughs> but, um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, it, it kind of, so like, it, it, you know, it was, I was thinking about doing it as a feature, but I really didn't feel, I didn't have a script. So I didn't feel like, I mean, you may relate to this in some ways, but like, I, I just couldn't get that idea on the page yet i just i just wasn't like more i wasn't capable enough as a writer i don't think to like bust out what i had in my brain of what i wanted it to be so i I decided to hold off on it and and move forward with this series but like the other mandate with the episodes would be to work on shorts that had the potential to adapt into something bigger later on so um when we move you know got moving through Killer on the Loose, Princess, Not Alone. Um, James Morris actually directed Princess and Not Alone. So uh, I had only directed Killer on the Loose, and I was eager to direct another episode. And I decided to just pull out that writer idea and work on it some more. And and uh, it was a good, a good way to kind of test it out and see how well it was going to work. Because sometimes, you know, you've got an idea in your head, and you, you think it's going to be this great movie, but... The, the idea you have is not always uh, practical or tangible. Like a script is one thing, but a and like a, a finished film is an, another thing. But an idea in your head is not always uh, it's not always like capable of being maybe what you want it to be. If that makes sense, it's like it. Uh, anyway, it just it just took like putting it out there, putting it into a script trying it out and then it turned out to be one of the the more successful episodes so we put it out there and people responded well to it and i was really proud of it i still watch it and think that it uh it turned out quite well and uh i thought you know doing it doing it as a feature makes sense now because it 
it seems to have worked and and through the process of making it kind of realized that there's a lot more there too that I could extrapolate from to to do in the uh, the longer version so I totally understand where you're coming from with having an idea but not unsure how to fully realize it and you just kind of have to ruminate on it a little bit I mean like I told you in private, like I've had this vampire idea in my head for like 10 years. And it wasn't until recently that I realized, oh, I think I know how to do this. And I started writing it. So yes. I know where you're coming from with that. And if I'm not mistaken, They Live Inside a short film was probably the most, um, probably the biggest production of the short films thus far, right? Yeah, yeah. Like all the episodes in the witching season are like varying in in runtime. So most of them are like 10, 15 minutes. And then uh, They Live Inside Us was 30 uh, 30 minutes long. (laughs) So so it's pretty obvious that like there was there was something more there that was working really well, I think. And uh, not that, you know, longer is better, but um, there was just a lot, a lot of meat there. So it yeah, made sense, I think, to. uh, to adapt it into, you know, of course I, I adapted it into a feature and I'm sure we'll get into that, but no, yeah, it, it makes sense. Like I feel you when you, it's, it's hard to, uh, you don't want to force your way through a script if you're just not ready to do it yet. And sometimes you just need to take a little time, I think, and kind of sit on it or, uh, you know, give it a little more thought for me, making it into a short film was key. I don't know. I don't know if a feature would have ever come to be if I didn't make it into a short first. Right. And and I'm not saying like abandon ideas or anything, but what I'm about to say is like, okay, say you have an idea, but it's not coming to you right away. Like jot that down and move on to something else because once your conscious and subconscious mind are working on something else, it will be like, hey, you know what? This idea could also work back for the first idea and go back to it. Like don't just become stuck on one idea and in the hopes to get that made because you'll just be inert and won't create anything else. So that's why I say if you're stuck on something, yeah. put it aside and move on to something else. Oh, yeah. Yep, I totally relate to that. And that's that's where I was at before jumping into the witching season. It was like, I want to do this movie with this writer and like I can't figure it out and I'm like trying to like force my way through it. And, and I was just like, let's stop for now and do this other thing. And then it did end up working out. It came back full circle, you know? Yeah. And after They Live Inside Us, the short film comes out. It was got a huge response uh, through the YouTube channel and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like, okay, when did you decide, like, okay, now this is going to be the feature film version of it? I think as I was making it, I – so I, I had like a – a doc, like a word document I had open as I was like shooting it and editing it that I was just adding to, which were just new ideas that could be, you know, added into this thing for a longer version. So I kept that document there, you know, the entire time we were in production. And many of those ideas ended up making it into the final feature. Um, so it was like, as we were making it, we started. To, I started to realize, like, oh, this this does work pretty well. And once the response came in from the audience, that people were enjoying it, um, it was kind of always there. But it really, it really wasn't like a commitment until after we finished 
the fifth episode, which is Is That You? James uh, directed that one as well. And once we rounded that out with five episodes, it felt like a good time to call. Like when we started the witching season, we didn't know how many episodes there would be. So once we got to that fifth one, it felt like, okay, we've kind of accomplished this goal. Uh, let's call this the end of the first season and we'll we'll do something else now. And we, we've all aspired to do a feature film collectively as a group. Like we, um, we knew making the series, it was always this sort of means to an end to, uh, to take what we, to like gather the team and gather the resources and the experience to uh, take that and, make a feature film later on. So we were all like kind of anticipating that and it felt like the right time. And then, yeah, the short film was just that they live inside us was, uh, uh, undoubtedly, I think the most popular, not maybe not on like, is that you has the most views online. It's definitely the one that went viral, but, um, they live inside us was the one that when we'd see reviews, people are like, this is, you know, this is my favorite one. We'd see that a lot. And, uh, yeah, we just decided to, to, go ahead and um, give it a shot and adapt it and get a script going. So Nice. And it is funny, like, every now and then you see the updates from Is That You saying, like, hey, we just passed this mile mark and we passed this mile mark, and I'm just like, wow. Like, I can't believe it. It's yeah, crazy. <laughs> it, 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 like, I don't mean like, to like, put it down or anything, but it's like, in terms of scale, that versus They Live Inside, it's, it's, it's a much more smaller contained story and yet that, that just one blew up unexpectedly as an audience member. I was like, wow, that's really, yeah. really intriguing. Yeah. Like that, that's the YouTube audience for you. <laughs> it's like, it's like the shortest Well, It's actually not the shortest episode, but it, it was the one that when we made it, we knew we wanted to sort of follow the YouTube short horror film formula. And like, we, we kind of wanted it to be, what it ended up becoming, which is kind of a formulaic sh short horror film that, uh, you know, it, it delivers on what the promises of a short YouTube horror film should be. I think you have a good scare at the end, a good jump scare, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty short. It's digestible. It's not too like complicated, but even so, like I'm still surprised that they live inside us is, I think it's, crossed at least 300,000 views on YouTube for a 30 minute short film. That's, you know, that's kind of crazy also. So, right. And it's, it's obvious that you've sacrificed people for your success. That's the only explanation for the success your series has. This is for sure. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did you go about beginnings of, okay, we're going to make they live in science as a feature film. Like what was like the earliest steps you took to get that project to be fully realized? Yeah. Um, well, we, the next step was to get a script ready. And what's funny is the script was almost never ready. <laughs> you know, it's like, even once we started filming, we had a script and we did like a read through with our core team before we, jumped into filming but it continued to evolve and change as as we went and and that was stressful but fine <laughs> but i guess the next steps were we we knew we needed some funding because we wanted to make 
this uh, this feature bigger and better than what we did with the witching season, which was made for essentially nothing. I mean, the witching season is by all means a zero budget production, with the exception of you know hiring a few people to do certain things. But it was really just a labor of love, and um, so we wanted to go into the feature with a little bit of funding and be able to pay the team. And so we did a crowdfund campaign and launched that in the fall of 2017, I believe, and ended up raising a small budget. And that allowed us to do a lot of things we couldn't have done. Um, it, uh, it still required the movie still required calling in many favors and, um, shooting in locations that we knew we had access to. So the script writing process was very much writing for locations we knew we could shoot in. Um, we ended up shooting in the same house that we shot the short film in. Um, it's a house that's owned by a, a good friend of mine named Jake Waters. And the the main character in the movie is actually named after him. And uh, this time around, Jake was able to have a, a cameo in the film too. So he'll, he'll be uh, appearing in the feature and, yeah, just you know, getting the the financing and then getting uh, the getting the script ready as close as possible, and then we had a start date of it was July of 2018. So we uh, had to fulfill the you know all the deliveries for the perks that we sold through the crowdfunds. So we spent kind of the winter of 2017 into 2018 doing that, and then um, finishing up the script, started casting. And, you know, most of the cast and most of the team were people that were involved in the witching season in some capacity. There were really just a couple people that we brought in that, that weren't. Um, our composer, Randon Graves, did the score for the witching season. And uh, it was very, like, we just kind of followed the same formula we, we kind of did for the, the series. But um, expanded it and tried to make everything bigger and more, uh, more of a, a real in quotes, uh, production, I guess. Right. And it must've been, but I think that what you're, what you're saying is what a lot of independent filmmakers do as well as should do who have not done it yet. It's like take stock in what you have and write around that. Right. It's the Robert Rodriguez rule of, of filmmaking. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause it wouldn't have, there, there's really no way we could have done it. Like if we, if we had to rent a house, and you know shoot on a very tight schedule it just it just wouldn't have happened like we uh we shot on weekends for the most part and it took us pretty much an entire year to get the movie shot which is crazy <laughs> but that's what it you know when we're shooting once a week or once every couple weeks that's you got to do what you got to do so everyone involved was working their full-time jobs and just kind of balancing our schedules and doing what we could. But, um, yeah, it, it, exactly. It's like using those resources you already have. And, and, uh, and I think the hugely important thing is writing the script to match that. So you're not, cause you can come up with anything, you know, when you're writing your script, but if it's not practical, it's, it's just gonna make it so much more difficult, if not impossible to actually get it done. Right, like if you can't afford to have spaceships in your movie, don't write them into your script. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And with that, like since you were shooting on weekends and everything, and um, 
was that a benefit for you in prep? So like, okay, like we shoot this one weekend, we've gotten X, Y, and Z scene done, but now we have all this time to prep the following scenes that we're going to do. Like, was that a benefit, the kind of stop and go production, even if it was a little frustrating when it comes to momentum? Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, uh, has its pros and cons, you know, it's, it's tough to spend a full year shooting a movie that is essentially set in a single day, (laughs) but yeah, I'm able to edit the movie as I'm shooting, which is incredibly helpful. I can see what we shot and have it edited by the time we come back the next week and, and know if there's anything we missed or anything that's not working right. And there were, there were moments where, you know, we'd shot, we'd shoot an entire sequence um, there's a sequence in the film where our character, uh, main character is coming into the house and he's looking around with a flashlight and we looked back at the footage and the flashlight was creating some weird strobe effect. Um, something to do with, I think the, the way the, the bulb frequency is registering with the camera and the shutter speed. And we tried a different flashlight and it wasn't doing that. So we had to come back and reshoot most of those shots again. But if we, we're on a really tight schedule and had no flexibility there. We would have just had to work with that footage. So there's definitely uh, some great positives to, to that. And also like, like I said before, I, you know, I I had the script in a a pretty good, like there's a, there was a good full structure of beginning, middle and end, but certain components were changing and being able to edit the movie as we shot it allowed me to, you know, have a lot of freedom there to change things and add scenes and adjust scenes that weren't working and all of that. So it goes both ways, you know, it's, it's good to have that flexibility. That's, it's really, it was really helpful, especially for me for my first feature to wrap my head around a a feature length story and have that ability to take it each week. And yeah, that, that was, that was really helpful. Yeah. Because like you, psychologically you kind of frame it as like oh i'm making a short a week and it's just like Mm -hmm. a a short film can be a single scene or a couple of scenes and so i guess you wouldn't feel the daunting nature of a feature film because it's like oh okay like oh i just have to accomplish x y and z and that's all i need to do for this time to shoot you're not thinking about yep all the stuff that has to come before this and all the stuff that has to come after this oh yeah yeah and like i what what you said there about the dauntingness of dauntingness if that's a word of the, of the <laughs> scope of a feature film like you you really do have to trust that what you're doing what you have in the script is going to work because you're often jumping around you know you're not necessarily shooting in order so um you've got actors there for certain you know, certain days we had a couple of actors fly out from California to be a part of the movie and we knew they were only going to be there for a week or whatever it was. So we, we had to get their stuff and we were jumping all around in the script and it's, it's really stressful because you're, you know, you're, like you said, you're, you're shooting a little short segment at a time and that's the thing that you can hold on to, but you're wondering the entire time you're in production, if this, this entire story is going to add up and make sense. But having that flexibility of, you know, we're making this movie on weekends and we're going to work on it. Essentially, like we had an idea in mind of when we wanted to be done. We knew it'd probably take about a year, but if we had to go and shoot extra, we can, you know, so that, that was super helpful and important. 
Now, like since you, the production was broken up into weekends, um, and you said before that you had uh, a read through, did you do any like rehearsals with the cast and crew prior to shooting? So, like wherever you were when you jumped into a scene, everybody knew what happened previously within the story, so they knew their headspace as they got into that scene or not. We didn't really have any, from what I remember, um, any rehearsals where we only went to to the house or to the location just to rehearse, but we would often rehearse through the scenes before we'd start rolling um, the camera. So, yeah, we, but yeah, to your point, I mean, that, that is really important when you're jumping around to, you know, make sure that everyone knows where we're at and reorient the cast and the team with okay here's where things are leading into you know i'd always kind of have a a brief meeting before we'd start we'd go over all that and you know this is what happens in the movie up to this point so now we're here here's what your character is dealing with and you know this is kind of what their headspace should be and there's a lot of trust involved by the actors you know for those those moments especially some of the moments in the film that happen later that are you know really heavy and um it's yeah a a trusting relationship between director and actors for for that stuff for sure right because that's like one of the key things that famous acting teacher judith weston says is like to know where the character was prior to when the scene begins because that informs that all their decisions going through the scene you're in at the moment right and i imagine like okay you're an actor like i just came for i just picked up my coffee from starbucks like 15 minutes ago but now i have to pretend like i just ran into this room because a monster just chased me down the hallway and it could <laughs> be a little difficult to get into that mindset to portray the emotions effectively yeah yep exactly they're reacting to whatever happened before this right so they're coming in not only playing out you know what's happening in real time but they should be coming to it from what just happened yeah totally i mean that's the that's the movie magic right there and a lot of people don't realize that films are shot out of order and they uh their the production schedule is just kind of crazy but it's kind of amazing anytime a movie gets made and and is coherent i think because of that there's just so many moving pieces it's it's kind of crazy Definitely. And now, like, a good portion, like, as you say, the story would take place at night. And was all of it, like, shot at night? Or is it like, okay, we have this, the house for a couple of days and we have to fake night by putting garbage bags over windows to simulate that it's nighttime outside? Yeah. Um, mostly we actually did shoot at night. But a good chunk of the production was through the fall moving into... Uh, the spring and you know days are much shorter then so it wasn't too hard we'd get we'd often get there at around four or five we'd have dinner and then we'd start shooting maybe six seven o'clock and um, there were a couple moments the house the house that we shot in has certain areas that are dark uh, throughout the day if you shut some doors or maybe cover a couple windows but um a lot of the lower level like the first floor stuff we shot some of the windows are just massive and um it's 
the ceilings are really high and it's it's difficult to it would have been really hard to block out the light and and be able to show the the house the way that i wanted to um because you wouldn't be able to look at the windows if they were covered out covered up with bag garbage bags and things but um yeah we didn't really mind shooting it at night a lot of the time we would shoot into you know late into the i guess early into the morning like three four a.m <laughs> and that was also uh the house we were we were shooting in was in a town that's about 45 minutes away from where where most of us live so we'd always have a drive uh, uh late into the early morning hours <laughs> coming back home just exhausted and uh, uh yeah it really yeah a good chunk of the movie is at night but we, we were all friends and it was it was just a, a good time to hang out and go down there and just it was just fun you know nice i mean i i can imagine because i've had this happen to me so many times like you pull into your house you have all your equipment in your trunk is like i'm just grabbing the camera and i'm gonna bring this in right now everything else can stay in the trunk until the following morning because i'm not putting everything away right now <laughs> dude i know that feeling like exactly because you get home it's 4 a.m you've got like totes of lights and you know all this crap and yeah i would i would usually just bring the camera in or you know exact yeah exactly i know what you're i know what you're saying just like i don't want to put the light stance away like i'm just if i do i'm gonna throw them in the corner like i'm not putting the lights yeah. away in their, in their proper place it's gonna look messy so right now i'm gonna make sure to back up the footage and then i can go to bed uh, peacefully yeah you're so tired you don't want to carry in yeah like and that's the thing like with a film production you are mostly i mean a good chunk of it is like carrying heavy things around and like setting things up and tearing it down like uh, it's not all like you just point a camera and you're having fun filming people there's so much of it that's like essentially you know almost like construction or just really difficult manual labor like especially when the director and the producers are the ones doing all of those things and you know carrying everything around moving it setting up the lights like that's how our that's what our our core team was like it was just we all all that manual labor of course is just that's just indie production but that's what we had to do you know set up take down and uh, yeah it uh, stresses me out to think about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah a a film set is a mobile construction site yeah it really is it's yeah whether it be like from sandbags to light stands to sea stands or what have you it's just like all right it, like and you and you do chuckle to yourself like it's gonna take more time for us to set up and break it down than it is to do a few takes of this of this angle right here and, and you <laughs> you let you kind of you you contemplate the like the idiocy of this like why is this taking this long it shouldn't because this is gonna take few seconds to shoot and it's gonna last even less time on screen yeah yeah that's a weird feeling too it's like if you, I think about that when I watch a movie, you know, you watch a film and you realize that you're watching a in any given shot, um, how much setup was involved into that single shot, and then they probably shot at least three or four takes of that same shot, <laughs> and and then they moved the camera and they adjusted to this next shot, and it just flows and feels like such a smooth, simple, easygoing experience but it's so much pain and suffering <laughs> went, in, went into every single shot and uh yeah it's glory you know but it's glorious right it's uh <laughs> it's worth it 
it's worth it. It's worth it. it, it I guess like, all the like when you have an audience react to something that you make, it makes every effort, every all the blood, sweat, and tears worth it because like oh, I elicited a response out of somebody that was worth it. Yeah, I agree. In the end, in the end, you kind of forget about all the the pain of <laughs> just how difficult it was and. Um, we just shot a little thing down at the house for, uh, Count Spookula, one of our kind of recurring characters in our, in our stuff. And it was just a one night thing and the setup and taking, taking it all down and driving home just reminded me of just how, how hard it was to do the, the feature film and, (laughs) uh, doing that, you know, countless times it's, uh, it's crazy, but it's just crazy how you forget about it and you just kind of. You know, the movie's done and you're you're ready to do another one. <laughs> right. And you're just like, you finish something like, oh, I'd never want to do that again. A few hours later, I have an idea, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's it. It's bizarre. The torture uh, we put ourselves through for it. And then, uh, and you know, you're presenting your art in, in a way that you're sharing it with the world and everyone's going to judge it and. Hopefully they like it, but you know, not everyone likes anything. So it's, you're putting yourself out there in that way too. And then the difficulties, of course, of creating the work itself, but then you just want to do it again. So it's weird. Maybe there's something wrong with us. (laughs) It is a strange vicious cycle we find ourselves in. Yeah, it is. Um, But like one thing that that's kind of, uh, Unique. I, don't, I guess you could say unique, but like one of the adages you like you hear from people when you say make movies, like don't work with animals and don't work with kids. I know like that's somebody to say like it's like a warning against people who make movies. But your movie has a couple of kids in there, and so what was that like to direct kids, especially in the the broken up schedule, like as you had, mm-hmm. like going by weekends, like how. How is your approach different for a child actor versus an adult actor? Yeah, um, well, we had – so Emily Broshinsky, who was also the lead uh, little girl in uh, Princess, she plays Danny in They Live Inside Us. And she is uh, James uh, James Morris's uh, daughter in the film. So she's, she's one of the bigger – new additions from short film into feature the adaptation there and um having worked with her before uh, was was helpful we had a you know a, a good rapport going and um she sh- she's just super chill and easy to work with and i just tried to talk to her like like an adult really just you know try to give her the the feelings that her character would be experiencing and going through and in any given moment fortunately we were able to work on with her material mostly in order so she was able to follow um follow it in an in an easier way i think just like knowing where this character starts and where things end up and and of course she's just she's trusting that i know what i'm talking about <laughs> and uh but yeah i i think it's really working with with her was very similar to working with anyone else. It's just trying to give them an idea of where they came from before this scene, what we're doing now, um, and yeah, I mean, 
And we do have a couple other kids in the beginning part of the film that are, uh, they're actually friends in real life and they, they weren't actors necessarily. One of them is, uh, James's little brother, Tom, um, Tom Morris. And then his real life friend, Jack Beck plays his buddy. And I liked the idea of working with these, these two, um, because they, they are actual friends. And I, I liked the banter that they, like I, James and I have kind of hung around them and we saw what they're like together. And I, I liked their, their whole duo like dynamic and, um, really just wanted them to bring that part of themselves into the roles. And they were both really excited and interested in being in movies. So, um, they, uh, they came out and, um, the, the, the diff- most difficult part with them was just dealing with the cold because they were, we were outside in the beginning of November and it was really, really cold and we're shooting their stuff. And, um, they, uh, we made sure to bring them like hot cocoa and try to uh, give them pizza and like just try to keep the kids uh, entertained and happy as much as possible with things that, that kids like. But uh, no, they they were great. Everyone worked out really well, I think. Nice. Like I, I can imagine like, all right, you do a take of a setup like, okay, put on these jackets because it's really cold out here we, before we do a next setup here because like we don't want you to freeze to death out here. Yeah. Yeah. We had like hand warmers or like they had their hands in their pockets and they'd have like, I think they, they, their outfits were already pretty warm, but they would stick their hands in their pockets with hand warmers. We'd send them inside to have cocoa and warm up. And then once we were ready, we'd bring them back out and run through a few takes. And then we just kind of kept giving them those breaks, which was helpful. Um, yeah. All the kids did a great job. They really, really were really impressed me, especially those two with their, lack of experience um emily we we already knew she was a pro so she came into it and just did her thing you know it's it's easy to work with actors when they are you're 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 hiring and casting people that are professionals that uh don't require coaching it's just all all i'm doing as a director is trying to give them you know the information about what the scene is and uh, the way that I intended the character to maybe feel or, you know, what I'm hoping for. And even then when they bring their own elements to it, their own, you know, their own personality to it, that, that always usually enhances it and makes it even better. So it, it, yeah. Right. Like it's smart. Like, like if you have a good actor, like you let them know, like, Hey, first take or two, like that's all you, like I'll step in to give notes if need be, but I'm going to trust your intuition in the beginning because mm-hmm. you would hope that the actor has been doing their own sets of preparation um, prior to the, the shooting. And then you're like, okay, we're going to let their instincts to do it because that's what they're here for. That's what you want them to be doing. And then you come in and finagle like, okay, maybe this is not the intention I want. Like, this is what I want you to do instead and give adjustments as you go. Right. Yeah. And everyone always came super prepared and, um, I was just impressed with everyone, you know, and like, and I always try to write scripts where I have like the, the dialogue, of course, written out, but usually I'm not so strict on the, the words being exactly as they are on the page. I kind of like the actors to make it their own if, if it makes more sense for them. So like, especially the stuff in the beginning with the two friends, um, 
Jack and Tom, they, I wanted them to, you know, just talk like they would naturally. Cause I knew it would feel really kind of, you know, just, just feel, I guess, scripted or just very, uh, I don't know. just didn't seem like, uh, sticking to any particular exact wording really mattered. I just wanted to get the ideas across. So I, I like, you know, doing it that way. But I, I'm also, there are certain moments where things need to be said for specific wording for various reasons. So there's definitely some of that, but I like keeping the script pretty open and in terms of dialogue, letting the actors kind of come up with their own or stick with what's, what's written, but, you know, feel free to adjust words around if it feels more natural because these people are coming into it with their own, you know, their own personalities and their own uh, sensibilities about how they speak. And uh, I, it's, it's important that it sound natural and not like movie talk. You know, <laughs> I see a lot of movies uh, like, like smaller budget productions where you know that they're speaking exactly how the script is written. And if they could just have that flexibility, a little bit of flexibility there, um, it could just feel so much more natural. Right, like you have characters pontificating about the philosophy that the writer feels, and you, it just rings false to you. It, it makes you sound like, eh, yeah, that doesn't sound like a real life person. Yeah, and that's where really good writing is so invisible when it is written exactly as they want the you know the character to say it, and the character does say it exactly that way, and it just works beautifully. Like. I don't know. It's it's a balance of you know you being open to the suggestions and ideas of the actors, but also ensuring that your vision is being fulfilled as the screenwriter and as the director. And yeah, there's just a balance there. I try not to be too strict either way. Just keep it flexible and and open, but um, make sure that the integrity of the story is never being sacrificed. Right, like as long as the meaning or the intention of the line is there, that's fine. If it yeah. if it requires a different type of wording, because you can write anything, saying it is a completely different story. Like <laughs> the easiest joke to make is, "Oh, the Star Wars prequels." There you go. I mean, I don't think any a lot of people try their damnedest to make that dialogue work, and unfortunately, <laughs> not many people could. But now, yeah. you, as the production was going on, like. You had upgraded certain gear to make this movie here because I think this is the first time you started shooting stuff in 4K, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. Yep. And was that process a little different compared to shooting things in HD? Like, was there a different kind of workflow that you had to get used to when, like, you upgraded camera-wise to for this production? Yeah, I mean, it, it was and it wasn't. It's like I had... I had this old computer that I was editing the witching season on and that, that I knew had to go. There was no way it was going to support a feature. <laughs> so that was a, one of the upgrades was to get a, a new computer that could handle it and then also handle the 4k footage. So that, you know, that was key. And then the camera that we shot it on is really, really good in low light. So that really helped us, in shooting in those low light environments, like in this dark, low lit house. Um, but also, you know, we invested in, in a few lights and 
some better sound equipment, just trying to increase the quality across the board, you know, and like a lot of the time with the witching season, we didn't even shoot sound. We would just come back and redo it all later. So this time around, we decided to shoot sound and pretty much any scene where there was dialogue. We still had to redo some of it, but a good chunk of it did make it into the film. So yeah, I, I guess it like, and, and you know, shooting sound, you probably uh, are familiar with this, of course, but whenever you're shooting audio, it just kind of slows down the entire process because you're, you've got to slate every shot, get the audio rolling, get the audio in a good position. But that's just part of the, the normal filmmaking process. It's just how, how it works, but yeah, like the, the few times I've worked with a, a specific like sound person that I've hired, like nine times out of ten, like he'll ask me like, all right, where do you want me to be? I'm like, all right, behind me, because I'm going to be moving. I think the best place is like, all right, stay behind me so I don't accidentally get you in the shot. Um, yeah. And right. yeah, and slating, it is integral and you need to do it, everything. But like, yes, it does add an extra beginning at the end of each take it does add an extra 30 seconds to a minute which may not sound a lot to people at home but like if you're doing i don't know 25 setups and multiple takes per yeah those time that those 30 seconds to a minute does add up yeah it really does but having that good sound is like so it's it, it can save your butt in the edit so it's it's probably worth it. We didn't do it for like we didn't record sound on set all the time because you're gonna change a good chunk of it regardless. Like you're gonna it, with the, it, and of course it depends on where you're shooting. Like we weren't on like a sound stage, so <laughs> we're in we're in a house in a neighborhood where there are loud trucks driving by throughout takes all the time, and um, we're outside a lot, so it's uh it's a challenge, but you know, you, you know that you're always, for the most part, uh, able to go back and fix those things in the edit. So, Right. And before the audio files get up in arms about this, I want to say <laughs> a, a movie sound is far more important than a movie's image because a movie can look like shit, but people will accept it if the audio is good. You flip that equation around, movie looks good, but you can't hear or understand what's going on. Nobody will, will deal with it. Yeah, I think that's true. It's like there's there's one easy way to identify like a low budget film and that's the sound, you know. So we with this one really wanted to increase the quality of the sound and we got a decent microphone to record the the sound on set and then spent a lot of time in the edit really trying to get it right and it's a learning experience because I'd never really done a whole lot of sound editing before, but um, it's awesome to see the movie come together with, with good sound as you spend more and more time with it. So yeah, totally. Right. And before I get into the post-production process of uh, the movie, was there any like locations or scenes that were incredibly difficult that you can talk about that without spoiling the movie that were like a real pain in the ass to get done? There were a few. There's uh, so we we shoot in a carnival for a scene involving an evil clown, and we got permission to come and film in this carnival, um, which was a live carnival with patrons. You know, people just going through. And the hardest part was avoiding 
um, getting the shots in a way where people aren't just staring at the camera because you have this small group of people moving through this carnival that everyone's there to go and ride on the merry-go-round and eat their corn dogs <laughs> and <laughs> and uh there's these guys walking around with a camera and this girl in this in this dress and she's clearly in a costume and um i was able to luckily shooting on the camera i was shooting on i was able to to get that background nice and blurry so i was able to avoid a, a lot of that but um that was one location that was was more difficult. Probably the hardest was we shot in the basement of my old high school, and that that also ties into the evil clown uh, sequences. And it was just a really difficult place to light and set up. And then there were it was it was just kind of a. A, a tough place to be in too and like mentally i don't know what it was or it was there was some some trouble <laughs> like that you know those days you, you probably have this happen where you're 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 in the middle of a shoot and you're just kind of struggling to get through it as the person in charge as the director like whatever the the variables are the factors that are coming up against you it's just like i i had a moment in that basement where i was sitting there stuck like with zero inspiration just feeling so like stressed out and we're like in the middle middle of production at this point of the movie and um ended up just walking away and spending like a good 20 minutes just away from it all and just like trying to take a deep breath and we were able to get in there and finish but i don't i couldn't tell you exactly what it was that location just really sucked it just really it's really difficult um i think just the combination of we have this actor who's getting in clown makeup we have all these people there to help us um do the makeup and and then we're down there setting up lighting and um it's a dark dingy stinky basement <laughs> and i don't know that that was one I I can I feel I feel you because there was one shoot I did where I decided like it's all the whole short was all done in one house and I decided it's a ten minute script like we can shoot this all in one night we can shoot all these scenes this ten minute short in one night and yeah. nearly had an anxiety attack in the middle of it. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me. It was like I think that's also what it was is just how much needed to be done in that one because we're there at this location for this one day and it has to be done like we we have to have it all there's so much to do and uh it's it can get overwhelming and kind of get you stuck but you just have to find a way to power through and like every shot i was shooting i'm like this shot sucks (laughs) like (laughs) this is terrible i can't like i can't imagine this being in the movie and then now I go back and watch the footage and it's not bad at all. It's like, I just had to, if I could have just trusted that what I was doing was, it was going to be okay. And I eventually kind of got there to, you know, as we got deeper into the shoot, but it just took some time to, I don't know, man, it's just that anxiety and the pressure and the stress. There's really, there wasn't really any, any locations that we shot in that were just difficult because of the location itself necessarily. That day was so, so difficult. Definitely the most difficult probably the most difficult shoot day I've ever had on, on a project. Uh, maybe it was the, the residual memories of high school, just encroaching on your <laughs> psyche that day. 
could have been. Yeah, it was. It was really weird to be back in the high school and you know all those familiar smells. And we were we were setting up the makeup and everything in the cafeteria. It's just it was bizarre. So and I guess they're tearing the high school down now. So we uh, <laughs> so it's we captured a, a bit of a, a relic, I think. There, I always heard about this the high school having a basement, but I never got to go down there until shooting this. So it's it's as scary as you might imagine it to be. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was it was crazy, and there were like old drums of uh, like food storage from like the fifties, I want to say, or maybe, maybe sixties or seventies, but there were these crazy things down there and like old, uh, logs of like just old, like documents from the school, weird stuff down there. Was it a bomb shelter and it's off days? What's going on down it there? Might've, it might've been, I don't know if that's what the, the idea was. Cause there were these giant drums of government issued food storage that are still down there. Huh? It's crazy. Yeah, I think that probably is what it was. Jeez, I mean, when I went to college, um, since we're, the college is not too far from a nuclear power plant, there is a fallout uh, shelter on campus. Oh, wow. Uh, but it's like literally in the dorm furthest away from everybody. So if if all else fails, like 90% of the people would not be able to get to the fallout sh- uh, <laughs> shelter. But um it's so strange. I, I I bet you it's like, you, you like you find out the high school is closing down and being torn down. Like, hmm. I hope we didn't have anything to do with that. They did. They found out <laughs> like they were making a movie there. Like, all right, time to close up time shop close here. It <laughs> it's an old school, so it. Yeah, I think it's probably just time for it to go. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's gonna be a sad day when they tear it down. Not that I loved high school or anything, but it's just, it's. Especially, like, I feel grateful that we were able to get down there and film some stuff, but we've kind of uh, immortalized the high school basement, I guess, in our film. But, uh, yeah, it's just weird when places in your small town get torn down. Um, It's just like, it's always been there, and then, you know, it's just kind of a part of history. Yeah, and, like, how did you go about getting locations, like, the high school, the carnival, like, like, did you go through, like, traditional permits and how is how is that process done for your yeah. production we uh we just reached out to people that we we, you know, we shot mostly in like pretty small town um places here so here in utah and um we reached out to the high school james morris was the lead actor but also one of the producers and he handled a lot of the location um stuff but he he just gave the uh principal a call and talked to them and they put us in touch with the head custodian and they were just fine fine for us to come and do it so um turns out i knew the head custodian as well so um that made it even easier and yeah if we just kind of came in on a day that he was uh he was working and scheduled it out ahead of time and he was just fine with us moving forward so that's kind of how the high school one came to be and then like the house location i'm good friends with the guy that owns it and he he and i are we're always talking about movies and um i guess he has really always wanted a film to be shot in his house so this is kind of a dream come true for him so and and you know when we're down there hanging out with them we're all just it's 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 very fun environment like we're just friends chilling and then making a movie at the same time <laughs> but um so that that part of it like the school or the house rather was uh was just 
super easy. And then with the carnival and some of these other locations, it was really just emailing people or giving them a call and saying, Hey, we're, you know, we're making a movie. Is it okay if we come down and, uh, and shoot at your, uh, your cornfield or your, your carnival. And everyone was really gracious and, uh, just great. Yeah. Great. It was easy. So yeah, we got lucky. I think it goes back to the saying, don't ask, don't get, I mean, yep. Like the worst thing they say is what? No. So it's yeah. like, all right, I know rejection sucks and everything, but like now you know it's definitive and then you can find someplace else. Exactly. I don't think we had a single no. We just, you just ask and people, like when you're shooting in a place like Utah in a small town, the idea of a movie is so novel to anyone. They're excited about it. Like, oh, sure, you know, come down and make your movie. Like they, uh, they're excited about the, the idea of it. So, yeah, just yeah, just ask. You know, that doesn't hurt to ask. And if they say no, then find another place. But we we had most of this stuff lined up before we started. So going back to writing your script based on locations, you know, you can use. It was we we had one. The, the basement was the one place we didn't have, but everything else was lined up ahead of time. We were actually planning on shooting in the basement at a the we had another location lined up, which was the basement of an old. Um, dance studio and we went and checked it out and it was a much smaller location but it was also equally as kind of creepy but it it ended up not it ended up not working so well because we didn't actually start shooting there but we we needed something with longer tunnels and corridors to have the characters move through and this was pretty much just a big single open space basement um so we ended up switching that but Yes, moral of the story is just ask. And a lot of the time, people are more than happy to help, I think. You're painting an image in my mind of like people in Utah, you saying that making a movie is very novel. I just imagine it's like the folks from Fargo who are like, oh, I bet you, yeah, come and uh, shoot a movie in our town there. <laughs> not to disparage the people of Utah whatsoever. No, it's that's not far off. I mean, we're in like a small kind of rural sort of farm town uh area here so people see you with a camera they definitely notice and they're they're like intrigued by what you're doing it it's it's good it works in our favor i think and we have amazing locations here in utah you can get just about any look that you would want you know you you've got desert landscapes you've got deep forested woods um, there's cool old buildings the only thing we don't have is a beach that's the only thing we don't have. So I'll just I'll just never write a movie uh, set near a beach. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, with those locations, that's why Utah is such a viable place to shoot. And it's a work-for-hire state. And there's so many different kind of locales you get in the state. It makes it mm-hmm. ideal for film productions minus the beach. Um, yeah. <laughs> But what was the post-production process like? Like you said, sound editing is not your forte, but this movie kind of forced you into a crash course of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I edited the movie as well as I shot the movie, directed it, and wrote it and produced it. <laughs> so I had my work cut out for me, but I, I kind of like that. I like I like that process of being able to take the footage that I shot and I kind of know where it, where it's all supposed to go in the edit and putting that together and it's like a very 
singular process for me. I know that's not how everyone is, how everyone likes to work. Uh, but I also like to utilize the rest of the team to get feedback on those edits and try to get some semblance of objectivity from the team. You know, you get so hyper focused on what you're doing that sometimes getting those outside perspectives really does help uh, help you to craft it, tighten it up a little bit stronger. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, uh, basically what would happen is we would shoot on weekends then I would take that footage and throughout the week I start editing it and I would always have like a running rough cut of the movie going as we moved through production. I got a little behind as the further we went into it and had like a backlog of footage I still needed to bring in. Um, and, uh, and then as far as like the sound editing stuff goes, uh, James Morris, who's the lead, also wanted something to do in the post-production phase. So I gave him um, the edit, and he started kind of building a very basic soundscape over just anything that was missing or anything that we needed to replace. So he kind of created a full um, sound design draft of the entire movie, and then I took that and like remixed it and um, brought in additional sounds, and then we had... Um, a couple of our other teammates, um, Alan Bradford and Jordan Swenson, the four of us were the producers on the film and, um, they, they would do the sound recording, send it over to James and then, um, James would work that into his edit and then I'd eventually get that and tweak everything. So yeah, it, it was, uh, we'd never really done that before. So that was, that was a first and it just kind of continued to come together you know of course as we move through and then once we had the film shot entirely i then spent the next i want to say it was maybe six to eight months just editing and fine-tuning and you know a lot of it was sound mixing and trying to get those um get the sound design really feeling uh big and heavy and um layered and and then we'd bring people back to do ADR. I had to do a bunch of ADR stuff with James. Um, so it's it's it just kind of <laughs> never never stopped until basically the beginning of this year when it was finally finished. But um, does that answer the question? <laughs> oh yeah, no, it totally does. Um, did you in the final mix of it? Did you bring it uh-huh. to like a sound studio? to mix it for like surround sound speakers or whatnot i didn't um i wanted to and i wanted i actually reached out to a sound designer uh to to do a a final like mix but it it just wasn't in the budget to do something like that so i ended up you know wearing so many hats kind of out of necessity so i just did the mix myself i i did it through adobe premiere and audition and Um, and then we were able to have a screening with our cast and crew and families and was able to watch it on a theater and kind of get a feel for how the sound was working through those big theater speakers. And I took notes and adjusted from there. But, um, yeah, you know, I I would love to, to do like a, a surround sound mix or something on it at some point, but we ended up just going with a stereo mix, just kind of did it myself. But, um, I think it turned out pretty good. I learned a lot through the process of making, you know, making it and, uh, and also like learning about like sound rights and like 
making sure that you're using sounds that you uh, can use that are, you know, <laughs> either through a library that you have purchased the rights to use them or you recorded it yourself. So that was a, that was a big deal. And I ended up using, for those who are like into sound and stuff, like I ended up using a website, nap.com. Basically you subscribe for, you know, like a month or a year or whatever you want to do. And then you can download anything from their library and it's all cleared and legit sound that you can use. And they have a lot of really good high quality sounds. So I, I used a lot of that to kind of fill in the, the gaps. And then I would record stuff that, you know, was just too specific that wouldn't be on their library. And then, and then we used our nice microphone to do all the ADR and really just did the best we could with it. And I think it sounds pretty good. I think so. What can I say? <laughs> as you toot your own horn, as you say that. <laughs> I mean, you'll have to tell me, Tim, <laughs> what well, you think of the sound. Uh, uh, like, as somebody like who's seen parts of the movie, yes, I do really enjoy the sound design. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. No, I thought it... I mean, I think there's definitely uh, a time and place to hire a sound person. I would have much rather done that. It's just going back to your budget and what you can, what you can afford and what you're capable of doing yourself. We were, we just couldn't, just couldn't have done it. We couldn't have hired someone, so had to do it ourselves and just take the time to learn it. And yeah, maybe for the next one, I'll be able to hire someone. I'd, I'd love to. Right, and just in case if people missed it before, what was the name of the website? You got the library of music that you were able to clear. It's called soundsnap.com. Gotcha. I yeah. I made that for my own personal stuff so I can write that down like soundsnap.com. Yep. Um so one like when you were editing it <clears throat> when you were in Adobe Premiere, would you create like a, a new sequence for each scene and then just finally once you were done you move that over to a master sequence so you'd have the completed film once you all the scenes were done? No, I, I actually just created one sequence and I would edit the the given scene and try to place it in the timeline roughly where it would end up in the film and then just kind of like a puzzle, you know, started to piece those scenes together and connect them as they would come in. So there were moments where you'd have pretty much a beginning, middle and end, but then there's sections that are just missing throughout and just like as you shoot that scene just bring it in and drop it there in the timeline. Uh, that just that thought just terrifies me because I imagine like oh you make one misstep in the cut and all of a sudden <laughs> half of it's out of sequence you're like what's going on here? <laughs> I had a like that I guess that just shows how like I really had a very clear uh, idea of like the structure of the movie just because I'd spent so much time in the script and so so many hours just working through it so it was you know I really didn't get lost in that way what was hardest or I guess most difficult for me was just wrapping my head over wrapping my head around the idea of a feature film story and um, the arc of that story and how whether or not this movie is going to feel like a journey that uh, that's that earns what it's trying to go for in the end, you know, and that it it all kind of comes together and feels like a real movie. That was the hardest part, but you know, so but being able to watch it and like work work through that, getting 
wrapping my head around it as I was editing, as I was shooting, really helped me to know, okay, things are lining up, like kind of where I wanted the middle of the movie to be is more or less matching up there and that kind of thing, you know? Gotcha. Now, probably the most difficult part of any movie, it's not the production, it's not the writing of it, it's getting to it, getting the movie to an audience. Now, how did you go about getting distribution? Like, what was your original plan and how did things turn out for your movie? Mm -hmm. So we had high hopes to have a big festival run this year, (laughs) which obviously uh, disappeared pretty quickly once March rolled around and and coronavirus and everything kind of took over. Most festivals canceled or they moved online. But um, we wanted to get in, get a big premiere at you know a, a good like horror festival somewhere, and and hopefully sell the movie there. That was the intention. But as the year started to move on, you know, we started to see what was happening. We just started reaching out to different distributors and ended up settling on Gravitas Ventures, and they've been super awesome. Um, they really liked the movie and believed in the vision for it and they just all around felt felt right you know so we've decided to move forward with them and they're uh they're releasing the movie october 6th and yeah it's awesome it's i mean it's amazing to to get (laughs) to get that part of it done and uh have it all work out of course. I mean, like, that's the dream is to, like, especially the independent filmmaker dream is to get a distributor for your movie and get it to an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like to put together the deliverables for the, for it to be able to be streamed on, like, on iTunes and what have you? Like, what was it like to getting that, that uh, QC pro- pro- process uh, together? Sure. Yeah. Um, they, so, you know, every company we spoke with was a little bit different, but generally there's a a list of things that you need to deliver to get your movie to them so they can get it out on those different platforms. And, but for the most part, I mean, it just, it just took a little time to put it all together and there's just some documents and things you have to go through and, um, you've got to write out your synopsis a few times and things like that. But every company is going to be a little different and ask for different items. So if you look up kind of what generally a company, you know, a distributor is going to be looking for and try to prepare moving into your production, um, I would have, I kind of wish I would have done that. So I would have known what I needed earlier. So you're not scrambling at the end to try to get it all put together. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's not too bad. You know, (laughs) if you're doing a legit production and you've got people signing documents to be part of it, you know, release forms and things like that, then I think you have your bases covered. You know, just I would look I would look into what delivery items are typically needed (laughs) ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, like that stuff you can find pretty easily on like they'll like if you go to any big distributor, any reputable, let me. Let me phrase that a little differently. Everyone who's a reputable distributor, they'll have a PDF of like, okay, it needs to be this level of sound quality. If you're going to be shooting in 4K, it has to be in this format, uh, what have you. And 
having that like you said going into production so you're just like all right i know what my post is going to be like you're not just like oh we want to put this out by this day but you have to deliver us a radically different version of the one you have right now it is smart for filmmakers to take advantage of that and do that kind of research prior to making the movie exactly yeah and there and you're always working on a time frame that's very delayed so like the delivery you know for the film is typically it's months ahead of time before it actually comes out so you've just got to prepare for for that and um if you want you know you want your movie to come out a certain time of year just be thinking about that and then you know you want to start pitching the, the movie to those distributors or trying to get a festival premiere at least you know three or four months before your desired uh, release date and then even then it's it's kind of up to the distributor in many cases when it's actually going to going to come out so it's all part of the learning experience like as you make your first film um you'll you'll go through the ringer with every single step of production <laughs> all the way up until the delivery and the release so i think it's something you just need to do once and learn the ropes and then hopefully you'll go into the second one you know understanding the process and you'll be able to correct any mistakes you made and just plan ahead exactly now this episode will be coming out on october 6th the the day this the movie comes out um which you can find on itunes um where like what's the what's the future of this movie like what do you have planned after it's released to the world uh yeah so it'll it'll come out october 6th on a various uh streaming platforms right now the pre-order is up for itunes so if anyone out there is interested in in checking it out uh that's the best way i'd say to support the film currently um if if you pre-order you know the idea there is that the pre-orders will funnel through to the day one order so we'll uh we'll get some good um potentially some good uh algorithm work there to get up on the on the rankings there in the horror charts which is how you know if we can get on the 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 charts there that's how people are going to find the movie the map the masses are going to find it so um that's the best way to go about that but um yeah i mean it'll come out this this october and then um i think you know i've got some other ideas cooking for another feature i'd like to get started here soon so of course everything with uh with the virus is is making that questionable for timing but um love to start something here soon i'm already eager to to make another one yeah i i you um probably amongst thousands of other filmmakers are just kind of running in place due to the coronavirus and so you're just like i'm ready to go just let me go i can do this <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's a crazy time for for filmmaking but i guess you know things are slowly starting to to come back it sounds like so just got to find a safe way to do it but i'm thinking like i still need some time anyway so i'm thinking we'll probably start something next year but uh we'll see what happens yeah i mean things are returned to some sense the normalcy i mean tom cruise is jumping off close with motorcycles so i think we are returning to some sense of normalcy <laughs> is he jumping off stuff is are they doing another mission impossible or yeah that was that the first day of production okay. like it was him in europe like on a dirt bike, going off a ramp and parachuting to safety as as a camera copter follows him. Okay, I didn't see that. That's crazy. Wait, they're doing it overseas. Yes. 
Okay. Well, I mean, I guess that makes a little more sense too. We're uh, we're uh, not doing so good here in uh, in the U.S. No, and I love how friends of mine in Australia just they get pissed at things being delayed because the United States not having that many movie theaters open. Just like <laughs> people in the states, wear your freaking masks. Like everybody else in the world like to watch movies, but no, you're the one holding us back with like an anchor around our foot. <laughs> that's funny that's a interesting perspective it's true though you know we're kind of the uh i mean there's plenty of films that come out from other countries but a lot of those big epic blockbusters are coming out of the states and people uh people worldwide are being affected by that so it's kind of kind of interesting but uh, yeah just wear your mask man just wear it and we'll get through it precisely and if you have any piece of advice to filmmakers uh, around the world who are wanting to make their first feature film but unsure how to or anything like now that you have done it like what piece of advice you yeah. would give uh to them who is going to be starting their project sure yeah um think about that well for me you know it's been a essentially a two-year journey to get from crowdfunding it well nearly three years now <laughs> but um I think back and think like, what if I was waiting for some perfect opportunity to come to me with, you know, someone reaching out or someone offering me millions of dollars to make this movie or whatever. And like, I I could still be sitting here wondering about that and just hoping. And I think at a certain point you just need to go and do it. And there really is so much you can do with a few people who are really dedicated and talented. And I think just kind of willing that to exist is really the best thing you can do. Uh, there are, of course, logistical things that you need to be thinking about and things that will uh, allow you to actually achieve that goal and hopefully come up with something good, like thinking about locations that you can access either cheaply or for free, um, looking at different talent that you can work with in a way that makes sense for the production things like that. And then, you know, at the very core of it, it's coming up with your idea. But like, for me, I wanted the script to be perfect. Even if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, I made my zombie film two hours. I wanted to make this feature film. I didn't feel like I was quite ready to do it. I made the witching season. And then after that, it's like, hey, let's make a feature. And I still like, honestly, I still felt like I'm not 100% ready to write this yet you know I don't really know how I'm going to pull off this advanced a story that I really want this to be but I did have the tools to do it as well as I could and I uh, I know that like again going into it we were shooting with a script that wasn't 100% done but it kept pushing and just kind of kept moving towards what that thing was that I hoped it could be and I feel like pretty confident walking away now like looking at the finished film it's it's essentially the vision like there's certain changes that had to be made but um yeah it it ultimately came out kind of the way i hoped so my advice would be just to start just to get going and uh don't uh don't wait around for any perfect circumstance because it's never going to happen even after making the witching season all that experience that we had we had this great team of people that were excited to make this movie and even then it's like there's still always going to be certain things that are not like in your mind 100 percent ready you just have to take the leap start moving forward 
and get your thing made. You know, otherwise you'll be sitting there on your couch three years later wondering why you didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you've said that, those things to to me personally. Like you've asked me, like, so when are you making your future film? And I'd be like, I can <laughs> tap dance. That's what I'm gonna do with this question. <laughs> um, right, and I think that's been a revelation for me personally throughout this conversation. That like I wanted to <clears throat> bulk shoot this, like shoot traditionally, like oh, that's like get two to three weeks together and shoot all this. But I'm thinking yeah. just based on this conversation, like it's going to probably have to do weekends. Like so many other people, yeah. like it's just like, all right, we're going to have to break this up and we'll take it bit by bit, but we'll get this done. And once we're safely able to do that, folks, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And so I think those are wise words that people would be, it'd be smart to heed those lessons. Um, if you want people to find your work on social media and your and the feature film, where can people find that? So we post more frequently on our Witching Season Films Instagram and Facebook. So that's just at Witching Season Films on Instagram and then Facebook.com slash Witching Season Films for, for the Facebook people. And then um, I'm at M Balif, B-A-L-L-I-F on Instagram. That's my personal. So I post different things there projects and things but also uh pictures of my cat and uh <laughs> stuff like that so, <laughs> uh yeah that's probably the best way and then yeah if you uh if you want to check out the film it's october 6th it's called they live inside us and i'd love to uh, i'd love to hear what you think about it if anyone uh gets a chance to take a look uh let me know what you think the internet needs more cat content, seriously, because <laughs> especially in these days, like, cause it's so wholesome and it just makes everybody's day better. I agree. And it's the best way to test out a camera too, or test out a new piece of gear. You just film <laughs> your cat. <laughs> like, what are you shooting the, the cat, the cat again? I'm testing something. This is for science. I've got, I mean, that's, that's like the go-to anytime I get a new lens or something, it's like, Oh, film the cat. It's the, <laughs> the go-to nice nice and if you want to follow me on social media you can find me on twitter at timothy rooney 2 my instagram at t rooney 1012 uh the other podcast to do uh please rewind the rf4 rm retro show as well as my youtube channel youtube.com slash through the lens productions through as if you're going through a window um you can find all my short films are up there and some stuff on the way hopefully have some cool stuff out for Halloween. Uh, Michael, I want to say thank you again for taking your time out of day to talk uh, uh, They Live Inside Us uh, with me. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. We'll uh, we'll have to do this again next year. Yes, we'll, we'll make it a yearly <laughs> occurrence here, like how a comic book comes together for an annual crossover. That's what we'll do. Awesome. Yeah, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Of course. Now, I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And just come back next time as we continue to talk about movies and pop culture. And we'll be speaking to you soon.